Uh, several years ago, my wife, as per typical, came back from the library with a whole host of books. Okay, we like to embrace learning at every opportunity, and that all gets started with my wife. And, and one of the selections that she had made was a book by uh, Mary Beth Chapman, who's married to Stephen Curtis Chapman, a uh, songwriter, uh, singer, um, many Grammy Awards. I'm sure you're familiar with him. But uh, he, uh, he, he's a guy that I've, I've kind of tracked with all my Christian life. And in fact, Karina saw him right after she became a Christian when he was just singing in a church. And his wife, Mary Beth Chapman, wrote this book called Choosing to See. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I have the uh, tendency to think that if, if you're kind of a celebrity and you've really kind of made it, especially like if you're, you're a Christian and God's just blessed you immensely and you have worldwide influence, that certainly your life must be perfect. There cannot be any troubles or any problems, right? And I'm sure that you'd make the assumption as well. You, you see people, and they're like, oh, they're successful, so everything in their life must just be perfect. Well, if you want to see true reality in a book that just is heart-wrenching honest and speaks of tremendous grace, you might want to read this book. So when Curtis showed up with it, I, because of my interest in the Chapman's, I read it. And I tell you what, I mean, talk about just a woman that writes, writes from honesty. She talks about the pain of her teenage years and how troubling and difficult they were. She writes about her long, ongoing struggles with clinical depression. And in this book, she, she writes about the experiences, horrific as they might be, of the tragic death of their five-year-old adopted daughter who was struck accidentally by a vehicle driven by her older son. And all that went with that, and this happened actually in the driveway of their family home. And how in the world do you go through storms like that? Just kind of looking around, I know that most of you, and I actually know that all of you, go through difficulties, challenges, pain, broken dreams, broken hearts, decimated finances. Uh, I... I experienced this in my life, back to this fall, just kind of walking through the, the cancer with one of my children. Very difficult, challenging, and I'm sure that you face these circumstances as well. And you start to ask the question, what in the world is happening? How do we face these everyday challenges and these storms of life? And you start asking these kind of questions, like, why are we going through this? How are we going to make it? And what is God teaching us about himself and ourselves through these storms and these situations? And as we begin 2017, we need to look at a critical lesson that Jesus intended every one of his followers to know. And that's why I'm inviting you to open up your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse 22. Because Jesus teaches a lesson that is so vital, and it will help you make sense of the storms in your life. It's one of the essential lessons of the training of the twelve, and so we're going to take a look at it this morning. So let's begin Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boats and go ahead of him to the other side. And while he sent the crowds away, after he sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray and when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already a long distance from the land, 
battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. So let me give you context of of this little boating trip that Jesus sends his guys on while he goes and prays. It comes on the very heels of one of the most monumentous miracles of the Gospels. It is when Jesus fed 5,000 men, not counting all the women and the children, just because guys are bigger eaters, I guess. And so they counted the 5,000, and there was also women and children, a huge miracle. So great of a miracle was this. It's, it's one of the only two miracles that's recorded in all four Gospels. And at the, at, after this event, where Jesus literally provides food for all of those who are listening, for both the men, the women, and also all of their children, it's at this time that John says that they wanted to take Jesus by force and make him a king, to inaugurate him. Like, you, wow, we really like this. Certainly, if you can feed us, you can lead us. And some people think that way. Really, it shows you just kind of how shallow people can be. It's kind of like they wanted a burger king. But Jesus didn't come to be the burger king. He is the king of kings and the lord of lords. It's not going to be just because I could feed you. You need to know who I really am. I've come on a mission, a mission of redemption, a mission of regeneration, a mission to bring salvation from sin and the newness of life in me, not just to feed you. In fact, these miracles are merely just to show you who I really am. You've got to imagine the excitement. In fact, if you look at the very end, last verse in verse 21, I mean, all there were 12 baskets of leftover food. One for every one of the disciples. They had to, they're holding it like, whoa, where did this come from? This came from the hands of Jesus. And in the midst of all this excitement, I'm sure the disciples are like, whoa, this is awesome, man. Everybody's just right here. We're with Jesus. They kind of want to see us. They really want to see Jesus. But we're in the mix of this, man. Jesus says, I am sending you boys away. I want you to get in the boat and I want you to go over to the other side. He's sending them uh, to... Uh, in the northeast area there, it's Bethsaida. It's, you find this in the Gospel of Mark where he says, I want you to go there. Now, they weren't probably overly excited about this, this news that Jesus had given them the command, I want you to go to the other side. Because the other side is Gentile country. Good Jewish boys don't go to the Gentile world. And yet, Jesus is sending them there. And so here we have Jesus. He, he sends the crowds away. He, he sends his disciples in a boat. He says, I want you to go ahead, and I, I want you to go ahead of me. I'm not telling you how I'm getting there. You just get in the boat. You start rowing, and I want you to go to the other side. And then he sent the crowds away. All the crowds are like, hey, we just, this is pretty good, man. You give food for our souls, and you give us food for our bellies. We like this. And he sends all the crowds away. And notice Jesus, verse 23. After he had sent the crowds away... He went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. In the midst of all the commotion and the excitement, I want you to see Jesus and the heart of true spirituality. And what does it really look like to relate to the Heavenly Father? It's prayer. Isn't that fascinating? Jesus, who is God, spends so much time communing with the Father, praying, interceding. He's praying not only that the people would understand the event and the miracle that just took place, but he's praying for his disciples. He's praying for what is about to take place. And that is the nature of Jesus. He is always interceding for his people. And so he directs these guys to go to the other side. Now, you know the disciples, don't you? 
like Peter and James and John and Andrew. Do you, do you know what these guys just, you know what they did for a living before they started kind of following Jesus as a part of his itinerant ministry? They were fishermen. They lived in boats. They, this was their strength, man. Maybe there were certain things they couldn't do. Maybe they weren't so good with crafts, but they could really fish. And they understood boats. And they believed that they could cut a sail and they could put it to a boat and they could sail and, and do whatever was needed on the water because this was their position of strength and position of confidence. And you see, what Jesus is doing, Jesus is always training his men. He's always training his disciples And he has to break them of their strength. You see, the problem with real gifted people is that they trust in the gift and not in God. You may have significant gifts and opportunities, and you've you've got a lot of training and education, and you have success and track record in certain areas. You need to know that if you're following Jesus, he has to break you in your strength so that you will truly follow him, where the Lord can actually do his work through you. Very likely in your strength, but there has to be a major orientation change to break you of pride so that you're completely dependent upon him. You know, we'll concede our weaknesses, right? If I, I said, hey, we got a college retreat of about 50 kids and we need you to teach, or we're asking you to sing a special song at the end of this message, some of you, that puts you into a panic and your prayer life would greatly increase, right? Lord, I need you every hour, like right now, you know? Because you understand, I, I, I can't do this. God, you're going to have to do a miracle. But in your strength, on the other hand, you know, I got this. I've done this before. No problem. No, there needs to be a training. You need to follow me. If you're going to be a fisher of men, which is what Jesus called them to be, they're going to have to learn this critical life lesson. And so you see Jesus praying. I, I take such great comfort in that verse. If I told you that just right in this other room, right over here, all of you are in the auditorium here, that Jesus is actually praying for you right now and in the week that you're about to have. Like, wouldn't that, wouldn't that change your whole perspective? Like, Jesus cares enough to pray about me? You need to know that Jesus is on the throne. He is returning. And you know what his ministry is? It's a ministry of prayer, of prayer for his people. He is praying for you now, praying for this very minute that you would get the full import of this text. It is such a critical life lesson. If you're going to walk with him, you need to understand this. And so he's praying. That's, that's his ministry. It's like in Hebrews 7.25, it says, Therefore he is also able to save forever those who draw near to God through him. Why? Since he always lives to make intercession for them. Did you know this morning, the Savior has been praying for us, for you actually individually? How overwhelming is that? And so he sends them off. But notice this. Jesus, while he's praying, uh, the disciples, they're in the boat. Um, All of a sudden, something rather significant takes place. Verse 24. But the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. You see, this, what he's teaching them, this is what church is going to be like. You're not going to see Jesus physically, but he's going to be very active, and he's in your midst. But you won't see him. He's praying, he's interceding, and he is going to teach them a critical life lesson. 
he sends them across the way. He goes, sends them kind of to foreign territory on the sea. But notice he sent them into a storm. You see that in verse 24? While they were a long distance from the land. Now, they would certainly get away from the shore, but now they're kind of an uncharted territory. And the Sea of Galilee is kind of like has this bowl of mountains around it. And storms quickly come. The wind literally just rolls off the mountains and turns the sea, and all of a sudden you got all sorts of chaos. That's why they didn't go too far away from shore. Well, now they're in the middle of the sea, the Sea of Galilee. Jesus sent them, and now they're in the midst of a storm. And can I ask you, do storms just sometimes come unexpectedly? You have like a lot of forewarning about the storms in your life. I don't. It's just like, you've got to be kidding. It just, it just hits like that. It would be an email, phone call, conversation, a meeting with a doctor, a face-to-face conversation. You see something on TV, all of a sudden it's on the internet. And like, what is going on? You see... The last time that these guys were in a storm, Jesus was actually in the boat with them. Remember that? Matthew chapter 8? To show you just how exhausting the ministry could be, Jesus is actually asleep on the stern. Remember? They had to wake him up, but Jesus was in the boat, and and they're all thinking they're going to perish and lose their lives. They're like, what do we do? We better wake up Jesus. He doesn't seem to be too worried about this, and he might be able to do something about it. And of course, he does. And he teaches them a lesson. Listen, I'm, I'm with you, okay? You don't need to be pulling out your hair and thinking you're going to lose your life all the time. Listen, I'm with you. But this time, Jesus sent them into a storm, and he wasn't physically present with them. And they, they don't know what to do. This is kind of uncharted territory. It was one thing to be in a storm with Jesus, but now Jesus is in the boat with us. And do you find that um, when you're in a storm, you start playing these mind games like, oh, no. I must be in this storm because I've, I've done something wrong. You know, like, oh, you know, I, I shouldn't have done that. And because I did that, uh, I'm in a storm. I want you to know that sometimes it works that way. Do you know, sometimes you are actually in a storm in your life for correction. You want a, a nice little Bible study on that? Just read the book of Jonah, okay? Sometimes God puts you into a storm to bring correction in your behavior. Why does he do that? Because he is a loving father that cares and actually disciplines his children. You know that you're one of his children if when you are sinning actively, God gets your attention and brings you to your knees. But not all storms are like that. Some storms are storms of perfection, meaning God is bringing about maturity in your life. He's growing you, developing you, stretching you, strengthening you taking you to places you've never been so you learn to trust him all the more. And, you know, I find in verse 24, that's exactly the kind of storm these men are in. They're not sinning. They're actually obeying Jesus. You know, verse 24 is a pretty important verse. It tells you and I that you can be exactly where the Lord wants you to be and to be in a storm. It's not because you're sinning. It's not because, like, God's trying to get your attention. You can be in a storm because God is maturing you, developing you, showing you more and more of who he is, perhaps bringing about an addressing of some issues in your life where you trust him all the more. And so they are. Here they are. They're finding themselves in the storm. And look at verse 25. 
And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking by the sea. Now, Roman military time, how they did this is beginning at 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., they had four watches, each of three hours apiece. So if you're kind of doing your math on the fourth watch of the night, you're in between 3 and 6 a.m. So think about it. These guys had already had a full day, right? They hung out with Jesus. Jesus did all his teaching. They were actively involved in feeding the 5,000. They had a full day. I mean, adrenaline had rushed. I mean, it would have been a full day. Jesus sends them on, on their way into the boat. They're thinking, all we have to do is somehow cross the sea, and we're going to be able to sleep. No, 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 no. They're in a huge storm. And they're, the winds are contrary, and they're being battered about. In fact, they're a long way off course. And they've probably been rowing like crazy, right? And they are exhausted. It's sometime between 3 and 6 a.m. They've maybe been doing this for about nine hours. And it's in this fourth watch. Do you see this here? In the fourth watch of the night, verse 25, he came to them walking on the sea. Whoa. This is so powerful. What Jesus is doing here is he's putting himself in a visible position of only what God can do. You see, in the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, God shows himself as the one who's in control of the seas. In fact, like in Isaiah 43, verse 16, it says, who makes the way through the sea and the paths through the mighty waters. To actually set himself in a position where Jesus is walking on the water is setting himself apart as the one true God. And he's walking on the water. These guys are fully exhausted. They're being battered around by these waves. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Verse 26. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. They're calling out and they're saying, uh, uh, it's a fantasma. It's a, a deception. Something's playing with our eyes. This, it's like, some sort of demonic influence is making us think that Jesus is walking in the water because that's impossible. And they're, and they're filled with fear. Do you see that? They're terrified. And they cry out in fear. It's in the midst of this breakdown. And they see, it, it looks like Jesus, and he's approaching in the midst of all these waves. Waves go up, come back down. There's Jesus, and he's, he's walking to them. It seems like he's, he's walking by them. And they see this. And they're filled with fear. And look at this. Verse 26. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately, verse 27, Jesus spoke to them saying, Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. You see, fear is the enemy of faith. That's why Jesus says, Take courage. And then he says, in Greek, ego and me. He uses the personal name of God. I am Yahweh. Remember Exodus chapter 3? Remember in verse 14, the bush is burning? And Moses says, who am I to say that you are that is sending me? And he says, I am Yahweh. In Greek, ego and me. And Jesus says, I am. Take courage. It's me. The I am do not be afraid. I mean, here they are in the midst of their struggle. And Jesus says, all you need to know is I am is with you. You see, when you pass through the waters of difficulty, 
you need to understand that Jesus will be with you. Why, why did Jesus walk on the water? Have you ever just taken a stop and like, what is up with that miracle? Why Jesus walking on water? It's because this, to show the disciples that the very thing they feared, the sea, was only a staircase for him to come to them. See, they're probably in a situation where they're thinking, we're probably not going to make it again. And Jesus is here. And he says, listen, this storm, this is nothing. This is merely a staircase for me to come to meet you. And that's where they find themselves. And he knows where you are. Even if you can't see him, he knows where you are. And the whole purpose of this storm, this whole purpose of this situation is for the disciples to grow in their faith. That's why they're in this. You see, this isn't just random. All of a sudden, a storm came up. Jesus had no idea this was going to happen. No, he fully knew it was going to happen. He actually sent them into the trial. Why? To mature their faith, to help them grow, to teach them that even if he is not with them physically, he is with them, and he will accomplish his purposes through them. You need to understand something. In life and in ministry, there are going to be storms. There are going to be times you're not going to get it. It's going to seem like the whole ship is just coming apart and your life is just being unraveled. What you need to understand is even if you can't see Jesus physically, because he's ascended to the Father, but he is coming back, he is fully engaged and he is with you. And that's what he's teaching them. He's teaching them to trust him. I mean, you can, ask, you can see them asking the questions like, is, is there a reason for this? It's no accident. Why am I going through this? What he's saying is, trust me. Draw near. I am. I am here. Well, look at this. On the heels of the statement, all the disciples are filled with fear. They're in the boat. They're still moving up and down. They're still being rocked. But now they see Jesus appearing. Now he has spoken to them. Take courage. It is I, ego and me. Do not be afraid. But look at verse 28. This is so powerful. This might have been one of the key points in which Jesus was praying for. Verse 28. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. Now, it, it's written like if. In Greek, this is a first-class condition. It's kind of like more Greek than you probably wanted at the beginning of the year. But what it means, it could be, it should be translated since. Since you are the Lord. It's not like, well, maybe, I'm not sure. No, since you are, it's, he's convinced. Lord, since it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he uses a word, the word command, as this is the word what a king would utter. A command to summon or to order or to command a subject. And what Peter says is, I know you to be the Lord. You command me. I'm not getting out of this boat on my own strength, but Lord, it is you. You command me. I'm not doing things on my own. I'm learning to trust you. You command me to come to you. And you see that? He, he says, Jesus said to him, verse 29, come. He utters the word a king would command, summons, come to me. And look at this. I can't believe it. And Peter, verse 29, he got out of the boat and he walked on the water and came toward Jesus. Is this not amazing? 
All the disciples, they're filled with fear. You look in their eyes, and they're like, fear. But Peter is demonstrating faith. He says, Lord, it's you. Command me to come to you. And Jesus says, come. Follow my word. Trust me. And something that has never happened in human history happened. When Peter took his leg and his foot out of the boat and stepped on the water and did not sink. All the other guys, they're just watching this. But Peter, he's like, I am doing the impossible. I see Jesus. I hear his word. I'm obeying. He said, come. And I'm so I'm putting my foot on the water and I'm taking my other foot out and I am now out of the boat. And for just a minute, it is just Jesus and Peter and Peter doing the impossible. Come. And so he does. He is, it's just Jesus and him. And he came toward Jesus. But then in the midst of all this, still in the storm, the winds and the waves, verse 30, but seeing the wind, he became frightened and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? For a moment, it's just Peter looking at Jesus and taking steps on a wave, coming to him. But all of a sudden he sees the wind and the wind whipping up all the water and it's all rustling around. Perhaps he hears the gasp of the apostles and the disciples and they're like, ah! And all of a sudden he gets focused on the wind and the waves and immediately he begins to sink. Why? Because he lost sight of Jesus and started focusing on his circumstances, which were almost impossible, right? You can't walk on water in a storm. And he focuses on his circumstances and what happens is he begins to sink and he exer- he's, he's doubting. He's doubting, like, can this possibly be that Jesus would have me walk on water in the midst of this storm coming to him when this just can't be? And what happens? He looks at his circumstances and he begins to sink. And he calls out, I'll tell you what, this is tremendous prayer. He simply says, Lord, save me. If there is one prayer in the Bible that you should memorize, this is the one. It is awesome theologically. It's only three words, so I can do it. And, and it, is, it is exactly what we need to say. Lord, save me. Your Lord, I need saving, and it's me. It's not, hey, Lord, it's me. Please save me. No, like, I'm really great. You don't want to lose me now, right? No, Lord, save me. Let me ask you. Have you ever failed a test? Whoa, lots of perfect people here, huh? Okay, I got a few honest ones. That's why we have the kids here on this family day, because, because they will like, yeah, I failed a test. Failed a test at school. I'm not trying to bring up some bad memories for those of you who are not trying to think about school or college right now. Um, maybe you, uh, you weren't selected on a team that you tried out for. Uh, maybe you didn't get the job promotion that you had applied for. Um, you know, maybe you ate with the wrong fork. Maybe you really failed and you ordered like tofu at a barbecue joint. Or maybe you wore spandex in public and you failed, right? Okay, well now, okay, now we're like, well, if you're talking about those kind of failures, I got a lot of them, right? My life is filled with failure. You know, I take great comfort in this because I lose focus of Jesus at times. And I get 
focused on these circumstances, and I'm not exactly sure how this is all going to work out in life. Why us? Why me? Why now? Why the situation? And what happens? You just like, feel like you're going to sink. You guys know what I'm talking about? Oh, okay. Isn't that interesting? Everybody's heads are nodding. We understand this. You see, what failure does, it puts us face-to-face with our fallen humanity. It puts us face-to-face with our fear. And it also puts face-to-face with God's faithfulness. Lord, save me is such a good prayer because it's like, Lord, I need you every hour. Not just a song I just sang at church. It's the reality of my life. Lord, save me. I tell you what, isn't it powerful? Peter knew where to turn when in trouble. He didn't like say to turn around to the disciples like, hey, throw out the life ring. You know, I'm, I'm starting to think. He didn't do that. He didn't try just swimming back to the boat. He knew where to go when in trouble. Do you? He prayed the prayer, didn't he? Lord, save me. What a powerful prayer. You know, maybe you decided, hey, I'm coming to church today. I have got to have a new life. I'm making a New Year's resolution. I'm showing up. Maybe you don't even know what church you're even at. Or maybe you've been kind of playing around with Christianity for a little bit, but you understand you need salvation. You need forgiveness. You need life, and you need hope, and you need purpose, and you need peace. Let me tell you where you find it. You find it in, Lord, save me. That prayer. The prayer saying, God, that's the gospel. You're the perfect one. I'm the sinner. I need forgiveness. I need life. I am trusting in you and you alone. Lord, save me. You know, uh, before we uh, give Peter too bad of a rap, for uh, not trusting in Jesus while walking on water. Can you imagine that? Think about it. All the other disciples, they're all filled with fear. But Peter, Peter actually exercised faith. You know, you have to sometimes just get out of the boat and trust in Jesus when he says come. You have to follow him at times where it doesn't make sense and there's all sorts of difficulties around you because, friends, that's where you live your faith. For the other guys that are in the boat... They're filled with fear and somewhat of awe, like, whoa, Peter, you're, whoa, you're crazier than we thought. You're actually getting out of the boat and walking on water. But I'll tell you something. For the eyes that watch this, you know, they're like, wow, that can really happen. But let me tell you, for Peter, he lived it. And friends, if you really want life, God calls us to live by faith. They watched. Peter lived it. And Peter learned the lesson. Not just academically, not because he heard it, not because he just saw it from the boat. He learned it firsthand that Jesus is able to save sinking people. He knew it firsthand. He felt the hand of God pull him up out of the water. Lord, save me. Isn't that powerful? That's exactly what he did. Verse 31, immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Let me tell you about your trial that you're in or that you just got through or the one you're just about going into. That's kind of how life works. Our trial will end the moment he chooses to end it. He's God. But our prayer in the midst is, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. And look at this, verse 32. When they got into the boat, can you imagine what that was like? Peter, back in the boat, he's pretty wet now, right? 
And, and, and Jesus is with him. Got him by the arm here. Here's this rugged fisherman. I'm sure he's like, <gasps> and they're all in the boat. And, and they get in the boat. Now Jesus is in the boat with them. And when they got in the boat, the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, you are certainly God's son. You see, he showed them that he's God by walking the water. He demonstrated the character and the nature of God by even calling Peter, I can do this. You trust me. And when you sink, I can save you. And I can put you back into this boat. And I can be in the boat with you. And, I, and when I step foot in this boat, the wind stops to show you that I'm in control of this trial. I'm accomplishing my purposes in your life. And do you see this? They worshipped him. It has the idea of just literally bowing down. This is so very, very important. Previously, these men had served Jesus. In fact, at the feeding of the 5,000, they were serving Jesus is doing the miracle. He was putting, giving them the bread and the fish. They were running around and feeding everybody. They looked like, man, we are awesome people. They were very popular, by the way. But now, they worship him. I want to tell you something. It's very good for you to know about God and about Jesus. It's so good that you serve him. In fact, he invites us into service. But the ultimate priority in life is for you and I to worship him. Sometimes we can get so busy in the knowing, or so busy maybe even the serving. We're just so busy in our life and our jobs, and we see him as a ministry, but we're serving and serving. You need to understand the ultimate priority in life is that you and I worship the Lord. What does it look like? You seeing him for who he is, and you bowing down. There's got to be times in our life where we just worship him. It's the ultimate priority. And that's what he is accomplishing here. You see, the storms of life... They're meant, us to bring us, meant to bring us to the worship of Christ. The storms of life are meant to bring us to the worship of Christ. And so that's what's happening here. You see, they're learning firsthand what does it really look like to trust the Lord. You see, it's like Job said, You know, I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. I see you for who you are. That's where faith comes into being. You see, God brings us to a point in our lives where he is all that we have. Why? Because he is all that we need. See, confidence in Christ allows us to overcome the fears in life. And maybe you're here today and you're like, far from drowning, Grant, you know what my problem is? I I feel like I'm drying up. I feel exhausted, and I feel distant from God, and this isn't like something new. It's been going on for some time. I want you to know what's happening. There are many of the saints, men and women in the scriptures, that went through these experiences. And you will find that there are people, people here today, that are going through those experiences. And what God is doing is he's bringing you to a place where it's developing a thirst that can only be quenched by Jesus, the living water. And what I tell you to do is just go and act by faith and worship him. And say, God, fill me. You are everything. And even if I can't sense your presence, I will worship you. Friends, that is the ultimate expression of faith. And what God is doing, he's destroying idols through the storms and through our circumstances. Stop trusting in him or her or this or that or your money. I want you to trust in me. I am the Lord who saves I am. 
And that's what God desires. He wants us to live by faith. It's Martin Luther King that said this. Faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. And that's what the Lord is doing. Do you see Jesus for who he is? King of kings, Lord of lords. Trust me, I'm with you. I am. Jesus said this. These things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. John 16, verse 33. Remember that book by Mary Beth Chapman, Choosing to See? She writes in this chapter on clinical depression this excerpt. Medication was not enough on its own to really transform me. What I found is that my depression actually became an opportunity to acknowledge to God that he was literally my only hope. In the darkest, loneliest times in the middle of the night, I realized that Christ is truly all I have. I realized that everything else, everything is fleeting. If I put my security or peace of mind in my husband, children, or home, I would only continue to wrestle with life and how out of control it felt. And so this morning, we are learning from Jesus this critical lesson he taught his first disciples, and he's teaching us now. It's called Walking on Water 101. Lord, save me. I trust you. Simply do your work through me. Let's pray. And on this New Year's Day, I'd like to just give you a minute to not only pray and process what you've heard from the Holy Scriptures, but that you would ask the Lord to fill you with faith, that you would call out, Lord, save me, and that you would find that your faith increased, your hope renewed, and your joy in Christ abounds. sung, Lord, we need you every hour. And so, Lord, we're asking that you, through the power of your word and the working of your Holy Spirit, would give us a fresh vision of walking with you, even perhaps in circumstances that are difficult or, yea, seemingly impossible. We ask that you'd increase our faith. Would you accomplish your purposes? Would you glorify yourself? We need you. Would you supply all that we need through your Son? And Father, we ask that we bring you great glory this year. We would honor you in our decisions. We would speak of you freely. We would not be manipulated and downtrodden by fear, but that you would, through your words, help us to take courage, knowing, ego in me, it is you, the great I am. And we trust our lives, our hopes, our hearts, our circumstances, and our future in your hands. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name.